Guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Barbell Jobs Business Podcast. Today, I've got Nicole Christensen, who's the owner of CrossFit Roots, and we're going to talk about a competitor's program that she has that's been, well, I've read about it in magazines. It's caught my attention. Um, I've intended on stealing pieces of it. So I figured just to give her the honor of knowing that I'm stealing it, we're going to bring her on the on the show today and there's some really great stuff on this i think you guys are going to like how you doing Nicole? good thanks for having me awesome so before we get going let's uh so people can understand why you can make a comparison program let's take five minutes to go over all the certifications that you have oh wow okay <laughs> um <laughs> was- there's there's a lot of them I, i've looked it up on the crossfit.com site all right well uh I am a CrossFit, certified CrossFit level four coach, which is the highest level for CrossFit certifications and training. And so that includes the level one, two, and three below it. And I've done things with CrossFit kids and with uh, various other areas in CrossFit. And then I worked for CrossFit for about eight years and then finished working for seminar staff as a flow master for the level one and the level two courses. Okay. <laughs> what was that like working for the uh, seminar staff out of curiosity? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, I was fortunate because I, I started working for them a, a long time ago when CrossFit was, I mean, it kind of exploded onto the scene, but it was still pretty new when you mentioned it more often than not, people didn't know what it was about. Um, and so the level one was, it was really raw. Uh, maybe not quite as much as, you know, when they first started traveling around and, and giving the level one, but you, it wasn't uncommon to have people come to the level one that had never done CrossFit before. And really just signed up for it saying, I'm an enthusiast of fitness and I want to learn more. So that was, it was, it was, it was pretty fun times. Um, and then, yeah, over the years, just being able to travel around the world and teach the level one. And I, I, I loved it because it's, it's absolutely fascinating how you can go around the world and everybody speaks the same common language as CrossFit and they get it, you know, as, as we would progress through the years, you go to these different gyms and, you know, whether it was through the internet or just the community communicating to each other, um, you could go anywhere around the world and jump into a workout and, and feel like you're right at home. That was really cool. So you were doing this back in the day when they were still handing out beers after Fran on the level one. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, absolutely. And they, they still, well, at least to my knowledge, they, they still did that um, a couple years back, but it was definitely, uh, there was definitely more workouts in the level one um, in the earlier days that people walked away with after two days <laughs> and it got a little tempered it down a little bit. So, so- you have this uh, this competitors course that you have. I found it online, and it had this list of things that your members had to be able to accomplish before they could even work out with the competitors. And I thought that's a really interesting take versus, well, a lot of a lot of gyms just do. You know, for competitors, it's more volume, and this is absolutely not the case. When I was looking over what you had here, can you uh, ex- explain? what your competitors program is a little bit and how other gyms can, you know, think about using something like this. Yeah. So basically um, the competitor standard sheet was born out of uh, really trying to 
protect people and help steer them in the right direction uh, to for how to focus their efforts to develop as an athlete. And so we, we saw this trend where people would start CrossFit and then they might have a couple skills or capacities. And then the next idea was, well, I need more. And so therefore I'm going to be competitive and I'm going to train um, more volume and more hours a day. And, and to be clear, we, we absolutely love the competitive side of CrossFit at CrossFit Roots, but we also wanted people to do it for the right reasons. And we found that a lot of people were feeling that the way to make more progress was through more volume. And so it was sort of born out of a, a desire to temper people's excitement in a healthy way by putting on paper um, a way for them to evaluate if this was something that they were ready to pursue and if there might actually be a better way for them to develop as an athlete that wasn't adding in more workouts to their day. Um, so, and then we also used it on the flip side, we used it um, because there is a, there is a camaraderie and a, and a vibe that happens when you bring together higher level athletes. And, and so when you have athletes that are dedicating larger portions of their day and are, are operating at a higher capacity level, they want to train with other people that are at that level. Um, and, and, and in a way they've earned that. And so we wanted to also fuel that for people in that they could trust that when they came to the competitor program, you know, the, the person that started CrossFit the week before that, you know, didn't yet have, um, a muscle up or still need a lot of help from a coach on how to scale a handstand pushup wasn't there taking the time of the group such that it didn't operate as this pretty well-oiled machine. And so there were sort of two reasons for, for the, the list. So it's kind of like iron sharpens iron. You know, you have the high level athletes who are going to push the other high level athletes and everyone as an average is going to get much, get much, uh, Get better in their skill set. Absolutely. And we didn't, to be clear too, we, the, the foundation of our competitor program has always been that they go to group class. So it wasn't to say that, that they were getting pulled out of group class, which I was always against in a, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I still felt that they, you know, just because you're a competitor, you're a higher level athlete, doesn't mean that you, you don't need coaching and you don't need to be challenged by athletes in a group training environment, you know? Um, but for the add-on volume or the add-on skill and capacity and you know work that you're going to do, you should have the privilege of doing that with other people that are motivated, dedicated, and have have sort of developed a maturity level that allows everybody to get the work done in a reasonable amount of time. So to get into this competitors class, what are the qualifications that someone has to achieve to be able to do this and work out with this group? So we have a list and we broke it into um, a couple different areas and it was really to reflect an athlete that had a GPP baseline that didn't have any gaping holes in it. And what that was also at a level that sort of warranted additional training volume. And so we have a gymnastics area, there's a weightlifting section and a monostructural. So for example, um, it's broken into men and women. Um, and so pull-ups. So men should be able to do 25 tipping pull-ups in a row. Women should be able to do 18. 
Um, strict pull-ups. Men should be able to do 12 in a row. Women should be able to do eight. Um, muscle-ups. You should be able to do three muscle-ups, male or female. Um, you should be able to handstand and walk 15 feet. Um, weightlifting side, back squat three times 1.25% um, or one and a quarter percent of your uh, body weight. And they're not meant to be extreme numbers. Um, you know, snatch 90% of your body weight um, for men and 80% for women. Uh, they're not supposed to be meant to be extreme, but it's it's a starting point for a conversation, a healthy conversation, I believe, with an athlete that is super excited, very enthusiastic, and to be able to sit down with them and say, hey, these are the standards. Let's go ahead and look through where you fall. Um, and then being able to have real data of why this might not be the best program for them at this time um, is one direction you could go to be able to say, okay, you know, there are some big gaping holes here. So rather than just adding more volume and more Metcon work and more time training, let's spend uh, all our time working on the developing the ability to handstand walk and get your muscle ups. And then that will, you know, bring up your well-roundedness. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, we used it to basically say like, yeah, you're good to go. And this is a good program for you to pursue. Um, and so we had them, um, they had to have um, most of them, um, and basically we said muscle ups and handstand push up capacity was mandatory. So, if when someone feels that they're ready for this program, do you have certain days that you test on, or can they just come in and say, "I'm ready, put me in coach," and then you go <laughs> yeah. through this test with them? Both. So, if they in January, we usually do for people that are interested in the competitor program, we would usually do a run through uh, where everybody that was interested would come in over the course of the week and we would test all of them. We use the SugarWide app. And so, if athletes have been logging their workouts for the past you know, year um, and they've been obviously doing it in group class with a coach, you know, leading them along, um, they don't have to retest those that day if we have, you know, recent data. Um, which is kind of a nice little way for them to not have to do a full week of testing. And so then that gives us our starting point. But then, you know, we've had instances where someone comes, you know, moves from another area and they want to jump in. And, um, and it, it's quite interesting, actually, especially for people that come from other gyms, they might have been in an environment where they, they, they did more volume and, and they sort of saw themselves as a competitor, but it was really just that they did more volume. And I think it really hones into them of like, these are the things that they need to work on, especially when they've had a background where they've been doing more volume on their own and kind of feel like they've been going down that road of becoming more competitive. And then this kind of takes a step back and says, oh, well, I'm actually not really working where I need to be working to improve in the areas that I'm weak. So, so when, if someone can, uh, they, they come to you, they, or during that week of testing, they do it, they pass. What is the, what does their schedule look like at that point once they're able to do the competitors program? Because I'm assuming they're not just skipping your wads and yeah. working by, by themselves or with yeah. another group. No, so the, the baseline of the program is that they go to group class um, and and that's where they're going to do their the workout of the day or their GPP base. Because if you're building CrossFit programming, you know, your, your baseline um, is just general, well-rounded fitness. Um, 
and so they'll go to group class. There's a couple of reasons why I've really kept the group class element. I stole that from Doug Chapman up at HyperFit years ago. Um, it, it's sort of funny. Um, I have competitors that on any given day, they can go to group class and one of our athletes might, you know, our other athletes that come to just group class might beat them in a workout. And I think there's this false pretense that when you decide that you're a competitor, that you're, you're too good for group class or that you, there's no value in it. And elite level athletes get better because they are constantly coached and they're constantly you know, reminded and given feedback and they're pushed by other athletes. And I, I think building that mentality of that mentality of like, it doesn't matter if the guy next to you scaled the workout or if the woman next to you is, you know, not doing the same weight as you, if, if they're beating you in the workout, they're still beating you. <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, from a competitive development standpoint, I think there's tremendous value in the group class side of it. So anyways, they go to group class and then, uh, they have a competitor's track in sugar wad, which they then have access to some days a week, they're assigned to do it on their own. And there's a reason for that. And then some days a week, there are specific times that the competitor group then meets to do the rest of that programming, um, in a, in a post environment. What would be the reason for them doing it on their own? So I, I want them to have some level of autonomy. Um, I think that once you do get to a level there, uh, that, that once you do get to a higher level of any sport, there is part of that. Or the reason that happens is because the athlete has a good sense of what they need and how they train and, and following through on it. And I think that, giving them a little bit of autonomy to stay after and, and do the work, you know, after class or come in before class or come at 5 PM one night because it works better for their family. Um, uh, I think those things help give athletes a balance between feeling like they're in a very controlled environment, you know, which we, we do have a pretty, uh, you know, controlled environment in the sense that, you know, we're telling them, Hey, look, if you don't have these skills, like you're not doing the competitor program. Um, and, and says like, no, look, you earned this and now you get to go in and do this on your own, um, on your own time. So I, I like that now. And then on the other side of it too, is you can't, you know, deny the, the, what do you call it? The camaraderie and the push that you get by having set training times that everybody comes to play and it raises everybody's game. And so taking those times where it's just the competitor group and they're all working together. There, there's a nice, uh, there's a nice little result there as well. So it's like a mixture of open gym and group classes as a yeah. competitor. Open gym group classes, and then specific competitor training times. So, and I will say that, you know, a lot of them have, flexibility that allows them to do it. I think that's becoming more and more common with people that are you know, committed CrossFit competitive athletes is that they're finding ways to you know, have a more flexible schedule that allows them to train you know, during the day or get something in when a lot of people are working. But um, that's, you know, we've, we've tried doing times in the past where it was, you know, a 6.30 a.m. start or 7.15 a.m. start to it before the work day. And to be perfectly honest, it just doesn't, we don't get the same level of buy-in. Yeah, I had that same issue with mine. 
So now basically I will, uh, I have an order of things for people to do. There may be six different uh, activities on the board. I want to call them wads because it could be working on your handstand walks or right. doing like 12.1, something of that nature, but there'll be an order in which they can do it. And I'll have people who come in at 5 a.m. They'll come back at noon. They'll come back at 6 p.m. and do some rowing. And that's what Connor, so Connor McDonald took over the uh, competitor program recently and he runs it and he was really big on that and it's something that i think that had just gotten lost in the mix where yeah they they're splitting up their sessions now um a lot more and I, it, it's better it's just better you know the idea that you can do this two hour two and a half hour slog fest and get anywhere near the intensity uh that you need on a and, and not even just physical intensity but mental intensity to you know do it the way you should the way you know you should um something's lost after that hour you know hour and a half so yeah no i'm with you my wife she's a she's a stud athlete mm -hmm. and she does you know all of our programming and she's the kind of woman she'll say well i won't come in at noon today and i'm gonna do everything till 6 30. like no you're not <laughs> <laughs> no she's just yeah. yeah she she enjoys it and i have to pull her back and to be honest, it sucks to coach your spouse. <laughs> yeah, I don't dabble in that. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell her at times, this is your coach talking, not your husband. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I've I've seen enough uh, spouse coaching relationships, and yeah, I don't. We don't tackle that. <laughs> yeah. God yeah. bless anyone that tries it. Good luck exactly. to you. Exactly. Um. You know, we were talking before we started recording how uh, I think this could be a really good retention program for people in terms of like wheels turning as soon as you said that. <laughs> Say again. You got my wheels turning as soon as you said that. Now I'm thinking of. Yeah. Because, well, you know, because myself, for example, I've got to have goals. If I don't have a goal, I'm going to find time to sit and play PlayStation. I've got to be constantly working for something, you know, for the, for the past uh, year and a half, I've been focused on, let's break that world bench press record. Let's break right. that record. That, that's consumed me. Well, that's done now. And I am so bored. <laughs> so I've got to have something yeah. for myself. True, totally. So it seems like, you know, you got this list here, you know, 12 pull up or 25 pull ups for men. You got a guy who's doing great at everything else. He needs a go. He's got eight pull-ups, we'll say. Right. You know, this could be the goal-setting session. Let's knock this out. Then let's knock this out. That could keep, you know, someone activated and moving forward. Right. And you could break this down into numerous levels, too. So, I mean, um, we talked a little bit about how I got the idea for the competitor program list of baseline skills to be in the competitor program from this list that was done by CrossFit Seattle back in, I think, 2005 or 2007-ish. And um, you can find online, it's athletic skill levels one through four. And, and basically what it was is they, they basically broke out different movement movements, movement patterns, and broke them into levels such that it would, I think with the idea that it would promote people to have a fitness level that was on par across the board with all those different movements and capacities. So meaning 
backing up, but meaning like, you know, if you're sitting there and you've got level two skills and everything, except for two areas, you've got level one skills. Well, it's, it's a pretty fair, it's a pretty easy way to see exactly what you need to be working on. And I think a lot of athletes struggle with, I call it athlete schizophrenia, right? So you, you go to group class one day and the squats really, you know, bust you up and you're like the next day, like, okay, I'm gonna start a squat program. And then you go to class the next day and there's muscle ups and you don't have that many muscle ups. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to work on muscle ups every day. And so now you've got a squat program and a muscle up program. And then you go the next day and there's something else. And it just becomes a schizophrenic pattern where, you know, and that's the beauty of GPP uh, training, right. And CrossFit, but it's also something that with all those type A personalities that can be, it can literally stifle them where they just feel like they're not getting better at anything and they don't know what to do. And so I think from what you said with the goal setting, you know, if you use that and said like, you know, highlight all the, all of your levels and where you're at, it would become very clear to an athlete and say, Hey, well, here are the two areas that you're weak. And let's, like you said, let's develop a training program and address those. And then let's see what it does, you know, over the course of the year for your fitness. See, I'm looking at this right now. I've got it uh, up on my screen and I'm thinking, you know, ways that I could break this down into different levels. Uh, basically, you know, third everything out because I've got I've got people who compete in uh, local CrossFit competitions. Who one of them, you know, she's she's a, she's a, she's she's an athlete, um, a local a local level athlete. The other day, she said, "I want to do Wadapalooza." Cool. Like you do, you need to learn how to do a pull up first. So. My thought here is, if you, yeah, if you could break these down into different levels and, okay, you have someone who's level one athlete, gym owners, pay attention to what I'm about to say. You have someone who's level one athlete about to break into level two, but they need to bring up something else. That is also a time you could uh, sell personal training sessions. Absolutely. So for, Absolutely. you know. I mean, that's, you know, it's so yeah. funny you said that, Jeremy, because we have we have one coach in particular at our gym, Allie Vermeil, who she has helped so many athletes do exactly this, where they identify literally one skill that they want to develop. And she's so good at breaking it down. She doesn't rush the process. And, you know, then four months, five months down the road, they have this amazing muscle up. Well, now in their head or in Allie's head, she goes back and she's saying, okay, well, they've got the muscle up. So we filled that hole, but now what's the next thing we can do? And it's just this beautifully iterative process where she's helping, you know, she's working one-on-one with athletes, maybe a 30 minute session every week or every other week, giving them homework. And I think, I think uh, we don't do a good enough job across the board as CrossFit gyms by of, of communicating that there is a personal training element to achieving any skill or capacity. And it doesn't have to just be in CrossFit. Like if you want to get better at piano, you don't go to like, yes, you could go to a group piano class, right? And you would get <laughs> better. You'd absolutely get better going consistently, but you can't undervalue one-on-one time and things that are, you know, designed specifically for you. I think the the beauty of CrossFit and and in goal specific areas is that that one-on-one time is so incredibly valuable because they already are getting a good breadth of skills. It's really allows coaches to dig in on, you know, that one specific thing. 
Yeah, so out of our conversation, I've already in my head developed a new retention program. I know. And yeah. a new way to sell personal training sessions for my coaches. Mm -hmm. So okay. our conversations probably just up my income 20 grand a year. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but it's true though. I mean, it, it's not, I mean, it's, and you have those athletes that they, they, they want the muscle up and they come to class. But, you know, what's the distance that they are from that skill? Well, if they, it's probably, you know, 10 minute sessions, two days a week on their own of practicing it and, and just enlightening them and saying like, this is how you get there. I think coaches, because this is what we do for a living and because most coaches also train in this discipline as their fitness and have their own goals that they want to achieve, the, that process is second nature to them. Whereas the athletes that come into their gym, that's why they're there. They're looking for that guidance and they're looking for the coach to say, Hey, you have a pull up and you have a dip. Like we need to start building in the muscle up so that we're working toward that before you ever get to the point where you say, well, why don't I have a muscle up? You know, and, and, and we, we don't have that conversation enough. I think sometimes. No, you're absolutely right. Um, thinking back when I started CrossFit in Tennessee, mm -hmm. we, uh, in my gym, we never worked on muscle ups. I wanted a muscle up. My coach never worked on muscle ups ever. So I did it. I worked on it myself for months trying to figure out, all right, well, this is the movement. So I'm going to break down each right. individual aspect of that movement and strengthen it myself. Right. And if he would have said, Hey, you know, let's spend an hour for $50. I would have hell. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Show me what I'm, what I need to do that I'm doing wrong. Let's do this. And, and I think that's the other part, too, of giving the athlete some autonomy. When you do those personal training sessions and you send them home with homework and say, here are the things that you need to do over the course of the next two weeks or next month, it, it puts some of the responsibility on them, which I think a lot of times I think athletes think like they're going to come to a personal training session or maybe they don't think it, but, you know, or at least coaches put the pressure on them. Like, okay, I'm doing this personal training session for muscle ups and I got to get them a muscle up in this hour and I think we sometimes just miss each other as coaches and athletes where the athlete's not really sitting there thinking that you're going to get them a muscle that's not why they're paying you they didn't say yes to the session because they're like well I know if I spend this hour I'm going to definitely have a muscle but they're so what they're paying you for is give me the process give me the process for the work that I can do because I'm willing as the athlete to put in this work and so when they walk away with homework there's all the more value that they feel they just got yeah, you know, I uh, am admittedly not a gymnastics guy. Really? I, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but 310 pounds, I can still do a ring muscle up. Yeah. My shoulders probably hate me for it, but hey, you know. That's all right. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my wife, she, uh, because I know that's not my skill set, that's, that's just not my strongest knowledge base. Right. So my wife, to help her, we found a coach in, uh, in Arkansas, and we were traveling. We went out, visited him, did a, our personal training session. And when he finished, we recorded everything on Coach's Eye, and he took notes and basically gave us homework. Said, this is what you can work on to, pro to progress this. And it was awesome. It, the session itself was great, 
but all the information he gave us because you know not being his spouse he could see stuff that i can't see totally. and and it takes gave us lots of great information it was awesome yeah and i, I mean i think it, it takes a pretty mature coach too to have the 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 vision for the athlete that is the long-term plan rather than let's get you up on the rings and so i think that's where a lot of that homework comes into play you know it's communicating to the athlete that like you want to get the muscle up but you also want to do it right and do it well and so when you're getting those little tips here and there and those you know okay let's try you know doing this type of ring row or let's move your hands here or let's you know practice some turnovers whatever it is um the athletes getting it, getting it in their head too, that this is more than just about getting on top of the rings. This is about a movement type and a movement pattern that they're developing for other areas of CrossFit as well. Yeah. You know, looking at this program, it seems like this would be a really good marketing tool as well. Cause I mean, you're in Colorado where if you throw a handful of rocks up in the gym, you're going to hit a handful of CrossFit gyms when they fall. Totally. And it seems like with, you know, the big push for CrossFit to go to focusing on health instead of performance, which I do totally uh, support and think it's a great idea. But with all these gyms, there's going to be athletes that are kind of left to the side that they want to go to the games. They want to go to, well, it was regionals, but now they want to go and compete in all these events around the world. Right. And it seems like this could be a really good marketing tool for those coaches who still aspire to do that, who want to have top level athletes as a way to bring them in. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny, Jeremy, I, I use this example all the time, but it just it helps me keep it real, if you will, with CrossFit in that, you know, if you went to a, a college football program and, you know, or, or you went to a college swimming program, you're like, here are my times. And I'd, I'd really like to come and train with you guys. I'd really like to be on your team. And, and the times are nowhere near what they need to be, right? Like you get turned away, right? And, and I think that sometimes the competitor programs at CrossFit gyms suffer because it is a community element and it is something where I, I absolutely believe in the development capacity of athletes, but there is a right way and, and a wrong way to do it. And, and when we have this mentality that, everybody should just be able to do it. I do think that we open the door for, you know, not having a program that gets the, the you know, level of detail and buy-in that maybe you'd want from a higher level athletic training environment. Right. Um, and it, it, to be clear, it's not about saying like, oh, you can't do it. I mean, I'm, I'm the last one I'll tell, that will ever tell somebody that I don't think they can do something. It's just, it's also about being a good coach and helping people see where their efforts are going to have the best value for what their goals are. And, and I do think this, the list helps start the conversation of this is the program and how you get in. And it might not mean everybody's in. <laughs> no, and I, I think that's a great way to look at it too. And, you know, about never telling someone they can't do something. I've had members come think of they've all been female. Uh-huh. So no no offense to the female gender, but members who want to get a pull up, but at the same time they're morbidly obese. And I'll catch them doing awesome. jumping pull ups, you know, after class, trying to work on their pull up. And so, and I'm not gonna tell them, you know, 
you're not going to be able to do this, I'll say, let's go work on stretching and let's see if uh, we can't work on getting your back squat lower first. Right. Let's, uh, you know, so I, I kind of, instead of saying, no, don't do this, I say, let's do something else. I'll give you more benefit right now and then we'll focus on this. Absolutely. And, and it's, there's so much to work on in CrossFit and there's so much to get better at. And, and yeah, you're right. Like working on squat depth and working on nutrition and, and, and still going to class and still doing the, the stuff that's already programmed is going to have tremendous value. Um, but I think coaches guiding their athletes and, and honestly having those hard conversations, you know, it's, it's not easy to have a conversation with an athlete that is super gun ho and super excited, which I, you know, you don't want to sit there and crush people's dreams and tell them they're not good enough, which is not the gist of the conversation. But if you don't do it in a constructive way, that can absolutely be the impression that the athlete walks away with. Um, but if you have something like this that I'm looking at on my screen that you made, yeah, you can uh, find different aspects to work on as well. Absolutely. So again, I mean, coming back to the levels and offering personal training sessions, we just keep them motivated instead of saying, no fatty, you can't do it. You're too big. Absolutely. And I think that <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's, that's exactly, no, that's exactly it in that we, 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 it's so easy to talk in these vague conversations that don't have any foundation for what you're actually talking about. When you have this list and you're sitting there saying like, Hey, look, I want the best for you too. I want you to be able to do the competitor program. I also know that you, you know, the value of your time jumping into the competitor program and doing a bunch of workouts that you don't have half of the movements that are programmed, you know, and, and loaded for based on this list, um, is not going to be the best use of your time. So I'm here to help you and let's figure out what the best use of your time is so that you can do this. And then once you get into the competitor program, you're getting the best value out of it. Um, because there's so many times when I'll see, um, you know, I'll talk to people or I'll, you know, drop in at gyms and, you know, someone's in the corner doing a, a workout that was programmed from some competitive training group. And, you know, it's taking them 20 minutes and it should take them four, but it's, and it's, there's, it should be a big red flag that there's, there's probably a, a better way to get to that eventual result. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this competitor program you have, it's, it's available for people to purchase for other gyms, right? It is. Um, so we, we, we have Project Roots, which is um, the programming and workout WOD plans that we sell on SugarWOD. And then as an add-on to that, you can purchase competitor programming. And so it's a nice synergy because if an ad, if a gym is already doing our GPP program and they want to offer a competitor program, but maybe they don't want to do all the programming, um, they can just purchase that um, as an add-on. And then we also have it if you know you're in the gym on your own and and you want a a competitor program, um, you can purchase it for an individual use as well. That's awesome. Like my, my my heads my gears are still turning on this. So in my mind, I'm a visual person. Okay. So what I what I could see myself doing here is taking this uh this list that you had um and fyi guys you may just want to uh, google crossfit roots uh competitor program find yeah. the list click images 
because uh, I've actually had this saved in my phone for quite a while. That's why I've <laughs> given you guys a reference on where to find it. But I see myself breaking this to different levels and putting it up on a large whiteboard near my rig. Yep. That, that way members can look at it every time they come in the gym and they can see uh, where they're at. They, they, they can always have right in front of them um, the movements they need to work on. Yeah. So it would always be right there for them to see. So they know that they, uh, you know, they've, they've got the kipping pull-ups, but they don't have their strict pull-ups. It's right there in front of them. So they can say, man, I need to get five more strict pull-ups, and then I can consider myself a level two athlete. And at the same time, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Um, bunny trail. But in my gym, we have what we call trophy banners. We have all these different uh, – achievements that a member can do like yeah. lose 50 pounds lose 70 pounds 100 uh, percent on the army pt test uh 1200 pound powerlifting total whatever yeah. and if they achieve one of these uh one of these feats that are set up mostly where anyone can do it whether as long as you are willing to let your life suck enough like 500 burpees in an hour that one sucks but anyone can do it yeah yeah um when they achieve those we have a banner with their picture made that has their name and the achievement they got. And we hang it up in the gym. And that is a fantastic retention program because they know if they leave the gym, that banner comes off and goes in the trash. Ah, so yeah. that's yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, and you could so, also, it also, if you post it, it, it's, it sets the foundation for what you value at your gym, right? So if, you know, if, if you have this list up and it has the whole breadth of skills, it's very clear to athletes what you expect them to be working on and what and what that result is, whether it's level one, level two, level three. Without kind of making it clear, it can kind of be easy, you know, maybe in your gym, it's, you know, people will get obsessed with more strength-specific stuff. In Boulder, it might be that people get more obsessed with like, well, I got, you know, 22 rounds of Cindy, so I'm fine. Um, and, and putting it out there of saying like, and then having your model athletes, because, you know, I can look at this list right now and I can see that, you know, the best athletes in our gym, the ones that are the best at CrossFit, they don't have level one and level three skills all intermixed, you know, with huge gaping holes. They really have progressed across the board. Um, so it's just a good way to be able to communicate to your athletes ongoing what you value of how they develop. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at this thinking if someone I could set up to where when someone gets the level to get level two level, quote unquote. At that point, that could be a level two banner they get put up on the th up in the gym, hanging on the wall, Absolutely. and then that could give them motivation to go for you know continue working on level three if they want, so they can have two banners up there. Yeah, which again is a great retention program because totally. that's you know retention is yeah. one of the biggest aspects of our business that gets overlooked. I you can get a thousand new members, but if you can't keep a thousand, you're still going to go out of business. And you're doing a lot. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, so before we end this, uh, the most important question, what's your, what's your best friend time? My best friend time. I'm going to have to pull up Sugarwatt actually right at this moment because I always, I always forget it. How's that? That sounds terrible. Um, hold on. So my best friend time is benchmark 227 gosh april 27th 2016 
Now, see, that, that seems like you would be almost frustrating to have a fran time that fast because you're going <laughs> to spend more time getting your weights out and putting them up than you spend doing the actual workout. Well, we actually, it's funny. We just joked about that recently. We, uh, we, you know, you spend all that time warming up then you do this workout for two and a half minutes and then you spend the rest of the day coughing and hacking up a lung <laughs> and feeling awful and somewhat nauseous just for that two minute and 27 second effort. Um, but yeah, it's actually interesting. I look at sugar wide. I've got, you know, I've, I've got seven Fran times in here. So from September 18th, 2013, my Fran time was, uh, 609, but I was, uh, nine months pregnant. Um, and then, uh, that's a partner friend. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, no, it is kind of funny to look like the past couple of times I've done it. It's only been about three to six seconds faster. So, you know, we're getting, we're getting to the limit <laughs> potentially. Um, we, uh, we did a workout we called lazy friend and we, we okay. do this one every now and then just for fun. Yeah. All it is is it's the same rep scheme but you use an empty barbell and you do jumping pull-ups oh, but yeah. it's a it's a hundred percent balls to the wall as fast yeah. as you can no slowing down and the first time we programmed this my members are like what this is it oh, totally. like they were scoffing at it and then you know they do it the worst minute of their life they're lying on the floor dying wondering what the heck just happened to them well there used to be a great uh thing that i think it was chris Spieler used to do or I don't know how it came up, but it basically, so Chris's friend time was, you know, like 150 something. And then, and they had people do um, Fran, uh, Fran with a PVC pipe. So do PVC pipe thrusters. And then for the kibbing pull-ups, they had them just put the pull-up or put the um, PVC pipe overhead and basically just do a kibbing pull-up motion with their arms standing there. And people still couldn't get as fast as Chris was. <laughs> it was fascinating. Uh, yeah, I've I've watched his spread, and it it literally took more time for that video to buffer than it did for him to do Fran. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but it's it's always it's it's sort of just like one of those folklore things now that you know people keep talking about Fran, and I think there's tremendous value in people staying, you know, obsessed in a healthy way <laughs> with some of those benchmark workouts. See, I run with a lot of uh, strength-focused people, and the question is always, what do you bench press? What do you bench press? Because, you know, uh, I love CrossFit, coach CrossFit, but we, my competitive uh, sport for myself has been powerlifting. Right. So everywhere I go, what do you bench press? What do you bench press? Totally. So I love asking people, what, hey, what do you, hey, yeah, since we're here, what do you bench press? How often do you guys do that? Yeah, it's just the, it's the powerlifting equivalent, you know? What's your friend time? No, no, I'm asking you. What do you bench press? Oh, what do I bench press? Oh. Uh, 142. You guys ever work? Oh, that's pretty good. 142. Um, I think that was the last one I did. Yeah. Um, which is, actually, I remember that was a big one because it was just finally over body weight. It was a big deal for me. Hey, a body weight bench press is a big deal for about no matter who you are. Yeah. That's, a, that's an achievement. You know, for... For the for the former swimmer who did a lot of pulling in her life and not a lot of pushing, it was a it was a hard earned fight fight there, getting that number up there. <laughs> That's awesome. Pull ups were fine, but push ups and handstand push ups were not uh, quick to come in the CrossFit world of training for me. 
No. Yeah, I still can't run for crap. I've always been a big guy. And, <laughs> you know, every year I do Murph happily. I, I love doing Murph. But, again, at this last year, I was at my biggest, which was 310. Those pull-ups and that run, and that sucked. That sucked a lot. Yeah, it will. I, I mean, it was so bad, it feels like the timer's still running on it. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, got to get better at it somehow by doing it, right? Yeah, and now that I've got my goal and I'm back on the uh, doing the CrossFit, God, cardio sucks. Yeah. Cardio, cardio's so bad. But, you know, that's what I suck at, so it's what I got to do. Totally. You got it. All right. Uh, do you got anything else you want to put on here? You no. want the world to know before we uh, end this? No, I think that was, uh, hopefully everyone got a good idea of why we do it and, you know, what it can do for your, for your gym. Yeah. And I really think this could be a way for gyms to increase their value and their bottom line as well. Yeah, I you, agree. I'm going to play with that right now. Yeah. If, if you apply this correctly, you can give yourself a raise. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to think about it. All right. I uh, appreciate right. your time. Yeah. Good to talk to you.